So I'm just going to recap quickly what we spoke of uh, our first week. This is our second week gathering. It's not uh, the second consecutive week, but it is our second time gathering for this class. Uh, Last week we uh, covered what is the church. Um, It is... Uh, we, we settled on the notion that it is a gathering of the people of God. Um, and what do we gather for? Primarily, we gather for worship. We gather for other things as well, for fellowship. But primarily, it is for worship. And we also covered how, um, briefly, how evangelicalism uh, today has uh, put less emphasis on membership and this gathering and more on individual salvation. Uh, and individual uh, experiences. So there's this big shift, and that's part of the reason why a lot of people don't attend churches, and a lot of people don't become members, and yet they uh, profess to be believers. Um, This began, uh, I argue, this is my argument, you you don't have to take it, take it for what it is. My argument, it came, it started with the first Great Awakening, snowballed into the second, and then the snowball got huge. Uh, once we got to the 1920s, 1930s, liberalism came in. Uh, and uh, the church, the visible church, uh, and the importance of having a visible church was diminished. Uh, it doesn't matter if we gather. It only matters if I believe in Jesus and I live autonomously from the church. So that's the mentality of many evangelicals today. Um, and I pose the question, if you, do, if you don't desire the little church, that is the little church in this world, if you don't desire to be with the little church, how do I know you desire to be with the big church in heaven? Uh, because that's what it's going to be. It's going to be a gathering of the saints before the throne of God. Um, so, uh, in, in now part of the recap is to say what I'm not saying. Uh, because at one point I did mention how <clears throat> well, the weekly ministry was emphasized over against Sunday service, uh, the Christian Sabbath. And how weekly ministry has become more important in some ways or just as important as Sunday service. As if, you know, if I miss church on Sunday, uh, I'll just do something to make up for it during the week, like some kind of penance, Right. I'll, do, uh, I'll be part of Bible study or, or part of this group or that group. And it has taken the place of uh, Sunday morning worship. Now, when I was saying that, I was not at all implying that we don't need weekly ministry, right? I strongly believe in weekly ministry and ministry during the week, such as prayer meetings, Bible studies, uh, and the like, evangelism. All these things are important. And they are part of our fellowship. That's part of what we do as individual Christians in the world. Um, But we cannot diminish the importance of gathering on the Lord's Day as the people of God and becoming members of that body. I've I've said, and I'll say it uh, now, I am not a pastor of anyone who is not a member of my church. I can be a pastor, you can call me pastor, so-and-so, whatever, but I'm not your pastor un- until you become a member. Um, you can't say my pastor, uh, this and that. Uh, and, and the implications for that is, you know, say you decide not to come to church anymore and you're not a member, 
I don't really have just grounds to, to look for you or to, to call you back as kind of an admonition or a rebuke. I'm not your pastor. I can't do that, right? Um, but if you are a member and say uh, you, you decide to leave the church um, uh, for whatever reason, maybe it's because of sin, uh, not because of just reasons, but because of sin or, or whatever, you, you can't come to church. Um, I have every duty to call you and say, where have you been? Uh, you haven't been in church in months, you know, and hold you accountable to the vows, which we will get to, to the vows that you have taken, right? You, you came before the church and you, you, you made vows that you are committed to this church to this body, and to coming faithfully uh, to service on Sundays. That's, that was, that's all uh, part of the vows uh, that we take. So today, um, I'm going on to the second question. We got through one question out of four, which I meant to get through all four in one, one day. Uh, that was impossible, I guess. Um, because you start rambling on, and we have questions. We, and I want to extend it as, as long as you allow me to. I don't want... I don't want to put a limit on membership class if you have questions or if you want discussion, right? We can extend this the whole year. What is, you know, um, again, so, so I'm moving on to the second question. And something else, too, I want to mention. This is not a pressure campaign, either. I'm not pressuring anyone to become a member. And when I uh, criticize broadly evangelical trends, I'm not necessarily criticizing you for taking your time and considering whether or not you want, you want to become a member. It takes time. It took my wife and I six months before I became a member of an OPC church. So it takes time to think through it. And the fact that you're sitting and listening and want to learn and want to uh, understand what we stand for here is a good sign that you know, you're heading in the right direction. But I'm speaking mainly of evangelicalism that says, well, that's not important. Membership is not needed. All I need to know is Jesus personally. And um, never be held accountable to anyone else, right? That is not what we see in Scripture. So, first question last week was, what is the church? It is a gathering. It is the ecclesia. That's the Greek word for uh, the gathering of called out ones. We are an an assembly um, of God's people. We are called out for worship. This week, uh, the question that is posed and this, if you listen cl- carefully to my sermons, which I'll hold you accountable to, not really, but uh, is the church an institution? Is the church an institution? What I mean by that, is it an organized religion? Uh, there's the famous saying, I'm sure you've all heard of it. Well, I'm not exactly sure if all of you have heard of it. Uh, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. That came out, I think it's a recent saying, it might be, it might be older, but it, it formulated into a popular song. I don't know if, Jesse, do you know? That definition has been around, I've heard that back in the 70s too. Back in the 70s, really, yeah. yeah. So. The hippie Jesus movement, right, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it recently, I think in the last 10 years or so, came out in a song uh, to that extent, and he, the guy is a famous Christian. Uh, I forget exactly who it was, but I know there's a music video and all that. Um, but that phrase, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church, is what we call an oxymoron. Not because the person who says it is a moron, uh, but because the phrase is contradictory. 
It is contradictory to say that you love Jesus, but you don't love whom he loves the most. That is his bride, the church. Yeah, it, well, it contradicts the very thing that we are called to, right? Um, at Presbytery this last week, someone made, there's a false teaching called Federal Vision. Um, not sure if you're familiar, we're not going to get into that, it's membership class, I don't want to get into that right now, but uh, it, it kind of makes membership the all in all, where, you know, you're saved by membership, pretty much. No, you're not saved by membership, you're saved unto membership, just like we're saved unto the law. We're saved unto being a m- member of the body of Christ. You're not saved by becoming a member. Um, so th- there can be people who are saved who are not members of churches, but those who prolong it uh, years and decades. I ask, what is going on in the spiritual life that they haven't felt the conviction to be part of a body? You know, that, that would be my question as a minister of the gospel. Uh, so it is contradictory, like you, like you said, Michael. It's, it's contradictory to say you love Jesus, but you don't love whom He loves the most. That is His church. But you can't be uh, you can't be an island unto yourself. It's, it's, a, it's a definition that's been quoted many times. No, yeah, you can't. If you are a Christian. You're you're an organic a part of a body. Yep. Okay, that's it. it it's it's. You know, when, when you hear those definitions, it's paradoxical. Mm-hmm. You can't be an, or a, 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 you know, a, a neuron outside the brain because you decide this is something that you know, doesn't fit your, your lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the free-to-be-me free mentality, right? Uh, don't tell me what to do. It's cultural. Don't tell me what to do, who I'm, who I'm to associate with, that kind of thing. And we don't, like you said, we, we don't see that in Scripture. I mean, we see that in 1 Corinthians 11 into 12. We are one body, we, and we are members of one another. Uh, and that's what it means when Paul says, discern the body of Christ. He's not just talking about the bread, right? When he's talking about the Lord's Supper, uh, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, when, he, when we say discern the body, we're not just talking about the bread, and we're not just talking about Jesus Christ himself and whether or not we have faith in him. But we are to discern whether or not we're sinning against his body by, by not becoming a part of it and, and living in love in that body. It's talking about the church as well and our relationship to it. Not just whether or not I personally believe in Jesus. Right? That, that's the context of 1 Corinthians 9 through 13. We, we could say all of 1 Corinthians, but, um, uh, but starting at chapter 9, which... Thankfully, we will get to next week on living to, to the glory of God, right? Soli Dea Gloria. Um, and what that means. And that's part of it. Being a member of the body. And loving that body. And I stress, in, uh, you know, when I fence the table, if you're sinning against the body, you should think twice before partaking. If there's bitterness, anger, any type of hatred towards members of the body, um, now, there could be just anger, you know, towards the session or whatever. Um, but if there's any type of uh, sin against the body in you, um, please withhold from partaking of, of the Lord's Supper. It's that serious. So there are uh, people who say they are committed to the church, 
yet they don't we want to become members of uh, the church. And I'm not, again, I'm not, it's not a pressure campaign. If, if it takes you a year to, to think it through, year and a half, two, whatever it is, it's a serious decision to make what body you want to be, become a member of, that's fine, you're considering it. This is uh, for those who uh, say they are committed to the church, yet they don't want to become members of the church. Um, a good illustration of people who say this is marriage, right, today. Um, for many young people uh, today who do not consider marriage um, as an important thing, they say, well, I'm just as committed as if I was married to the person, right? Say you're a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I'm just as committed as, a, as if I was married to the person by just living together. Uh, we share everything together and uh, we share meals and uh, sinfully share the bed, right? I'm just as committed. And I, I question that. I say, well, say you're, say you're the, the, the proposed wife in the house or girlfriend who's just living uh, together with her boyfriend. I, say, I, asked, uh, I would ask the girlfriend, are you just as committed as a woman who has forfeited her last name to take on someone else's last name, which signifies the fact that you are one, you have become one person, right? You're telling me you're just as committed as that person? Or you're just as committed as someone who has taken vows before God and before men, and those men are witnesses, and traditionally those witnesses are put there to hold you accountable to your vows, right? It's not just signing a paper to get married, right? Traditionally, those two people, the best man and the, and the maid of honor, they're there witnessing what is going on so that later on, if you mess things up, they can give you a call and say, hey, get your act together. You're thinking of adultery? Well, you said you wouldn't, right? You're thinking of leaving because times are tough? Well, you vowed that you wouldn't. And they can hold you accountable to that. that that's what, how serious vows are. And Jesus takes these serious. He says, don't, don't make vows if you can't keep it. Because you will held, be held accountable. When I make vows as a minister as well, I make those vows. And recently people have told me to do something for them as a minister. I say, I can't do that. I, I have vows that I've taken. I can't uh, betray this church and I can't betray my Lord. Because they, you know... The, the situation has to do with marriage or renewing of vows or something. And I'm not sure if they're Christians and they're outside of, uh, this, member, this body. And I said, you have to become a member or a member of a, of, of a, of a Bible-believing church before I can do anything uh, in regard to marriage. And so these vows are serious. So no one can tell me when they get married uh, or, or when they live together and decide they don't want to get married because... You can be just as committed. I say, you're not just as committed. You're not just, commit, just as committed because when that person gets married, they're forfeiting their lives, everything they are, to be with that person in the sight of God and men. And when you take those vows, it is serious. And that is the same as becoming a member. We take vows before a congregation, before a certain body to say, I'm committed to my Lord 
and I, and I am committed to you. It is a public covenant, just like marriage, uh, just like I made here as a minister. Um, and if you want to make it official, right? You want to make your commitment official, show me your commitment when it is written on paper. Until then, I can do nothing for you. I, I, can't, I can't guide you uh, seriously in counseling, and I can't... The first thing I'm going to ask uh, a non-member if they come to counseling, are you a member? <laughs> Uh, have you committed to the body? Because in that body, we hold each other accountable and we have obligations to do so because we have made vows to do so. Right? If you're committed, make it official. Show me when it is written on paper. Uh, just like marriage, it is a public covenant between you and God and witnesses. Uh, you come up front, profess your faith and your commitment to God and His church. And just like in marriage, if you mess up, you will be held accountable. Right, and not mess up like you mess up and you're penitent. If you mess up and you continue, and you turn your back on the church, not only is the pastor to hold you accountable, but the members of the church can call you up and say, "Hey, where have you been? You've made a vow to me that you would be committed to me and to the body, to everyone in this church." So it is a serious thing. If you want to show me that you're committed to Jesus Christ and His church. You'd become a member. Outside of that, I don't know. I have no idea. I don't even know who's saved outside of the church. Right? Uh, I can only presume. Um, but really, I wouldn't know. And I, I couldn't speak to it. Uh, and we'll get into it more when we come into the standards about submitting ourselves to the pastors and the elders' care once we become members and taking these vows. It's a serious thing. Um, now, the problem that many people have with the church in, in trying to get to the question, uh, the problem that many people have with the church is that they try to explain why they don't attend church or the reason why they don't become members of churches is because the church has been institutionalized, right? That is the boogeyman for many evangelicals today because it means that there is order, Right? And evangelicals, especially in America, do not like order. Right? We don't like order. We don't like organization. And why do we have order? Why, can any, anybody answer? Why do we have order? Why, why is there a need for order? Is, God, is there God of order? He is a God of order, but, but what are humans? In light of this God of order, we're sinners, right? The reason why we need order in churches and membership and all this, you know, you go to Presbyterian, you're like, man, just to make one decision, it takes all day. There has to be order because of sin. Things can, I mean, our form of government is not perfect. Don't get me, we're not perfect. Things can still slip through the cracks, but it's less often, right? We, we try to uh, taper it down a little bit uh, with order. Um, and, and that is a, a, a boogeyman for e American evangelicals uh, because there is accountability. Oh no, accountability. That's another, the boogeyman. Uh, someone's going to hold you accountable. There's not this private relationship to Jesus, right? Just me and Jesus uh, alone in my room, um, and I won't be held accountable. That's not the way Paul spoke, right? 
when Paul wrote his letter to the Corinthians, when James wrote his letter, he was calling for accountability. Now, this doesn't mean we delve into people's private lives all the time, just storm into, the, into their homes and you know, tell them what they should read, what should, they should watch, this, that, and the other. No, no, that's not what I'm speaking of. In the letter of Hebrews, when someone leaves the gathering, leaves the church, that in itself was considered sin. Right? What is the ultimate sin that we read about in the letter of Hebrews? We read it in 1 John. We read it in James. What is that? They left the gathering. They left the presence of Christ in the midst of his people. Because that was the point. Christ came to gather his people from all uh, nations, tongues, all different ethnicities. He wanted to gather them all up. And for us to be held accountable to one another, to walk in godliness and encourage each other, right? It's not just rebuke. When people think of accountability, it's not just rebuke. It's also about encouraging each other in our walk. Being there when, uh, when we're mourning over whatever situation has come up in life. Being there to live life, right? And that's what membership is for. It's not just taking a tally and when you mess up, I'm going to give you a call and give you a slap on the wrist. It's about the building up of the saints. And you know what my response is if you've ever uh, heard the sermon that I spoke about. It is, uh, uh, yeah, the church is institutionalized. The question is, who institutionalized it? Jesus. Jesus institutionalized it. That's what he was doing when he was going around and establishing the church and said to Peter, on this rock I will build my church. That's what he was doing when he gave us a blueprint on how to conduct church discipline in Matthew 18. That's what he was doing when he gave us the institution of the Lord's Supper. That's what he was doing when he gave his 11 disciples, the officers of the church, the Great Commission. That's a point of controversy too. Who was he speaking to when he gave the Great Commission? The 11. The 11 disciples. Not all the church, right? It was the 11. And then they would pass on the mantle of defending the gospel in local churches. See? And we'll get into that more. There's, there's a lot there. In that, he institutionalized baptism and commissioned them to teach all to, observe, to, all to observe all that he has commanded. And they would later appoint officers, right, of the church, pastors and deacons, pastors to preach and pray, and deacons serving the physical needs of the church. And this is the foundation that Paul built on when he wrote his letters to the Corinthians and told them to conduct church discipline and to remove the evil one from their midst. And then again to receive him back when he repented, right? There's that double side of that. Um, Paul would later appoint elders to rule the church, and he says this to Titus, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. And appoint elders in every town as I directed you. He was forming an institution. Even in regard to worship, Paul says that all things must be done decently and in order. Because as the author of Hebrews says, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Uh, Meaning, there is 
acceptable worship and there's unacceptable. Right? If he's saying acceptable, he's also saying there's, there's a form of worship that is unacceptable. And we know this by the light of nature. He doesn't, uh, God doesn't lay it all out in scripture. He lays out the elements right, that, we, that we have in our worship, such as the call to worship, invocation, praying, preaching. Right? We have all the elements, but we know when we walk into a service, whether or not it's decent, done in order, and whether or not it's acceptable, right? We know when there's to- total chaos when we go into a, a, a worship service. We know that by, by nature. We feel uncomfortable. We're like, oh, this is weird. Uh, uh, is, you know, last, week, uh, last time we met, I spoke of there's a church down where I'm from where the pastor's preaching. Then you have somebody painting over here on this side, uh, somebody doing interpretive dance, maybe even break dancing. And then full-on conversation in the back, all in the same sanctuary. And they use the argument, well, we're free in Christ. We have freedom. We have been freed from orderly worship. (laughs) I guess that's their interpretation. No, we have been freed from the law, right? The condemnation of the law. We're freed from sin. We're not free to just conduct worship as we please, or, or, you know, freed from becoming members of a body. Paul says we are members of one another. So uh, that's, that's not um, what it is to offer acceptable worship. And, and we must remember that because there is a solemnity to worship that we lost in our society, in our culture today. You know, it's been very flippant how we walk into the presence of God among his people. We tend to walk in without considering both the body and the body of Christ in heaven. And uh, uh, just because we worship with joy doesn't mean we lose solemnity. We see this in Revelation. There's a solemnness, this quiet of worship, and at the same time there's joy. Joy doesn't mean noise, right? So, Jesse, you had a question? Yeah, I just had a Yeah, um, I, yeah, it's accepted. I, I believe it's accepted. Not you won't find many, okay. just because we don't have huge churches. Yeah, they tend to be in bigger churches. Yeah, uh, if we if we were to have the choir, the whole church would be up. Yeah, the choir. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah uh, that I think that would fall under circumstances. Okay, but it's not it's not off limits, right? It's, no, it's I've always wanted a choir. Yeah, for a church. I um, think. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's helpful even during offertory or the Lord's Supper to have a choir to sing in between. Um, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, That we always need to distinguish between the elements of worship and the circumstances. So the elements of worship we don't move on, right? Uh, The elements like the call to worship, the invocation, uh, prayers, uh, preaching, um, the benediction. Those are elements. And we find them in scripture. Um, but the circumstances, they, piano or organ, which is, which do you prefer? Or acapella. That's a job to the RP. But anyway, uh, uh, to me that if all we had was a guitar and we had a band, I see no problem with it. 
as long as the pastor is leading, right? The ordained minister is leading, as we see in a pattern throughout uh, the Old and the New Testament. God always appoints ordained ministers to the leading of worship um, and, and preaching, all that. They're set apart for that, for that purpose. That's why the Great Commission was, was that way. Um, it wasn't for the entire church, right? Um, to fulfill. The main folks who are set apart for the Great Commission were the 11, and then it was passed down to the, those appointed Timothy, for instance, the pastor of a local church. And we do, we do Great Commission little ways by evangelizing and those things, but it is really fulfilled in the gathering and the preaching of the word and the teaching. Right? Um, and the regulative principle, like I said, I have no problem with a guitar or whatever. Other, one instrument is not holier than the other. Uh, drums, bongos, whatever. Uh, so long as the elements are in place. We, we need the elements and we need the ordained minister to, to lead. Um, and here he says also, if you um, follow, uh, I don't, oh, I didn't put out the outline, I'm so sorry. I'll give you all an outline after. It has all the scripture texts. I apologize for that. Time was short in between. But um, he says that ministers are to be tra- uh, treated with double honor. That's First Timothy 5, 17 to 18, which means they are to get compensated. In other words, ministers are to get paid. That's not my way of asking for a raise, by the way. But to people on the outside, to uh, those who are not members, that sounds, that doesn't sound spiritual. I've talked to many people, um, especially uh, of the Roman Catholic background, uh, who, when they hear that, if they hear what pastors get paid, even in the OPC, uh, you know, paying a pastor, they're supposed to work for free. Right? Just like the priests do. Actually, they don't work for free. Because all of their life is covered. They, they, they'll, they'll never go hungry. Um, uh, you know, and, and to them, it sounds like an institution, kind of like a business. Um, and it is far from uh, most people's understanding, because it is. But we see this in Scripture. To many uh, people, the church is supposed to be made up of free-loving uh, individuals who live their lives the way they please, without ever being held accountable because, hey, I believe in Jesus and I know I have been forgiven, so I don't need to answer to nobody, right? And the minister, he only works one day a week, giving us some moral encouragement and be there when I need him. He holds no authority, just what I want want him to have, right? He'll get paid what I want him to get paid. Now, that is the mentality of most Christians in our society. Yes, Michael, you had a question? Yes. Or, or a comment? How did this mentality get started? Is this a branch off of the American, you know, oh, uh, that's... idea that I'm a self-made man, I can, I can do whatever it is? And you can take off your mask if you want. Oh. Yeah, you guys can take it off. Yeah. I just don't understand this. I'm, I'm not from this culture. For me, it's an enigma how this idea got started. In the American in, in, in church at large of this rugged individualism that I don't have to become a member of anything. I can stand on my own. Uh, it's various movements, I think, both in evangelical circles and even in the Roman Catholic Church, it's, it's happened. 
Um, it's, I don't know, it, it might be the American individualism that has been imported into the church. Um, lack of community. There are many factors. Um, we are really, I mean, most people in New York and New England are not, they, they barely don't know their neighbors. You know, so there's this lack of attachment to other people. It's so many factors that could have gone in. I, again, I blame, <laughs> I blame the first great awakening into the second. I don't see much difference except for theology. But as far as pr- practicality, what they practice, what they believed, as far as the work of the spirit, this, that, and the other, um, really undermined the church, both membership and the authority, uh, church authority, such as the, the elders in the session, and how when we become members, we are to submit to that authority. All of that was being undermined during those movements. A lot of good came out of it, but like I said, this, this attitude also did. Something about, about Charles Finney. Uh, yeah. ideology came, came to be that it, it, it basically broke apart a lot of the, 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 the fundamental yeah um, say? well it, and from that you know you know um, D.L. Moody and that movement and, um, and, and from what they formed was this me and my bible this individual reading of the bible and saying that's all I need Right? That's where it developed from. Because they focused so much on the individual experience and spirit, individual personal spiritual experiences that they, they cut them, people began to cut themselves off from. And it became kind of like a pietist thing where, oh, yeah, I had the experience, but uh, this one didn't. He must not be a believer. He needs to have this experience. Right? You know what that led, speaking in tongues and this, that, and the other. Um, and even in Jonathan Edwards' time, uh, there were people convulsing in his, in uh, his, the churches, and uh, l- nobody was seeking to correct it. And my my thought was like, if I was an elder of that church, I'd I'd be seeking medical attention or or uh, uh, or some uh, praying or spiritual advice. Say whatever this is, this is not what is expected of believers uh, in the church, right? And Ed, I, don't, I don't think Edwards ever reprimanded people who, or, or try to see what was wrong with folks who were convulsing in the middle of um, services. And so a lot of this freedom of the Christian thing, which we will get to um, eventually, <laughs> uh, is not what the reformers meant, right? What, you know, this individual reading of the Bible, yes, it's good. It's good for our spiritual growth. We should do it. Um, but we should also check with our Ministers, and like we have a presbytery, we check, is, do I have the right interpretation here of this passage? Or am I letting my own mind go? You know, that kind of thing. Um, Martin Luther didn't, didn't say, hey, here's the Bible, now you can go off. Go live your own life, you don't need the church anymore. That's not what he was saying. But that's how, a lot of peop- how it interpreted for a lot of people. And that's how a lot of people use Luther and the Reformers. Is me and my Bible... I don't need anybody to tell me. I have the spirit, so I know what it says. Paul says, well, I mean, Peter says, this thing's Paul said. I don't want to understand. And then they, they, they use it for their own destruction. Right? And that's where we need the ministers to come in to help and guide uh, people in interpreting Scripture.
Isn't so. that also where, where, where the, the idea of church uh, oversight and, and, and uh, what do you say, discipline comes in? Yeah. If yeah. you have an exegesis and you're, you know, you're spouting that to everybody that you meet, and instead of you know asking the pastor, this is one of the reasons why the members you know, are, are, I don't know, I can't put it in, in right words. They're held accountable. They're held accountable for it. Yeah, and, and that's part of the vows. One of the vows, you say you're going to submit to the leadership, in the, and I think it's in, there, in the teaching of this church, right? If you have a different view about something and you're strongly opposed to a certain view, uh, whether it's baptism or, or even salvation, how one is saved, and it's not what we teach here, it's better to find another church if it's going to be a problem for you. If it's going to hurt your conscience. Now, we, we, we allow Baptists to become members here. Um, we don't force anyone to baptize their children. Um, but, uh, but if it's going to hurt your conscience, if you're a Baptist and you're sitting here, and every time we, we teach on baptism, it hurts you and, it, and it's not edifying to you, I mean, it's probably better to be part of a Baptist church. Um, uh, where, where the ministers will teach, and you will grow. Uh, you, you won't grow if you're always in opposition with the teaching of a church. Um, and if, if, if you're um, spouting off your own teaching that you think you've gotten from the scriptures and it goes against the teaching of whether the OPC or the, or the, pres, uh, the presbytery or the, the ministers here, that you're, you're causing disunity. You're, you're going to cause a divide and you, in, in, in turn it is sinful, right? To do that, to cause uh, disruption in the church and the, the session will be, will intervene. Um, so, you know, this, this idea of authority is a problem for many of us, and especially in America for some reason, <laughs> maybe because we're rebellious by nature. Uh, but it is, it, it is a problem for many people, authority, having, having this authority over you. And, you know, don't get me wrong, we don't impose that authority. You took the vows. So we didn't impose that authority. It's still voluntary. You took the vows, and now we're holding you accountable. Right, that's, that's part of it. Um, you going to say something? I just, I just know somebody in our community who's deeply entrenched in this idea. From, and there, she's from the deep south. Her mm. father was a lay pastor, which meant, you know, he maybe was a Christian, just could pick up the Bible and spout off with no accountability. Yeah. And um, she's kind of gotten into that thinking. But something I say to, to her or her husband is, how much training did your father have? You mm. know, our ministers have years of study. They're scholarly. The men in our church history were scholars. You know, yeah. and they're due their... Um, we, we owe them for their investment in all this time and study. I mean, that's one way of thinking of it, the one way I think of it. I mean, yeah. all those men in church history were great scholars, deep thinkers. They studied, you know, books voluminously. Yeah. Before we get to the order of the day. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to comment on that. You ever heard the, the, the uh, phrase used often among Evangelicals, knowledge puffeth up, right? Oh, they, they, they mis, yeah. you know, misusing the, the scriptures, 
pretty much to give them a reason why they shouldn't listen to ministers, why they shouldn't listen to their pastors, giving them a reason to say, oh, he thinks he knows it all, or whatever. In that context, if you know the context of the passage that he's speaking of, I don't have it in front of me, but he is speaking of um, the knowledge of the world, actually. Worldliness, asceticism, right? The, the form of, uh, back, I guess the equivalent today is kind of like a mysticism, you know. Uh, don't teach, don't touch, don't do this, don't do... That's, that's the context, and the knowledge of those things puffeth up Christians to start problems in the church. You know, the, the very, and we see this, but we see that strain in evangelicalism. They focus on everything else except for what the word actually says. And, um, and uh, it's, a, it's a bad way to use that passage. Because ministers have been set apart for, the, for it, they've been trained, um, and the me and my Bible movement does not work when it, when it comes to um, governing your own s- uh, spiritual life. I mean, as far as, um, y- you know, us ministers, we're guides. And when you take those vows, you're, you're taking the vow saying, yes, I want this guide to be my guide. Or oh, this church, better to say this church. Because just because there's a new pastor doesn't mean those, the vows you took is, you know, uh, not not in play anymore you know you, you, you're not held accountable to those vows because there's a new pastor sorry uh, um, but you know once you make those vows you're going to be held accountable to it whether you make them for me or for Patrick or for the next guy um, so yeah Mike you had a question um, no, I probably lost my train of thought now since uh... oh sorry sorry it'll come back right <laughs> Uh, and and to, to go back to being held, I, I'm held accountable to it. Not just by, you know, the lay people, but I'm held accountable to the presbytery. If I'm uh, delinquent in my doctrine or life, they'll call me out on it, and I'd have to answer. So it's not just you guys. <laughs> so I, I, I'm going to be held accountable for whatever I teach um, and preach. Now, we have differences in the OPC, you know, one guy to another. But as far as the core things, you know, the confession of faith... Um, and scriptures, I will be held accountable to it. So, just to show, you know, you know you're not the only ones <laughs> that are under this uh, watch, all-seeing eye. Um, so, going back to what Paul says about, you know, ministers getting paid, the reason why I love the OPC is because you can't, you can't call a pastor unless you can pay him. <laughs> unless he's a missionary, and, you know, there's, there's various ways to get funding, but, but it, um, you, you can't call him with a, with a low, low what pay. Verse? What was the verse? For which one? The, the pain? The double oh yeah, that's um, <clears throat> 1 Timothy 5.17 through 18 and then uh, 1 Corinthians 9.9. 9. Okay. Yep, and, and uh, there's more. There's more than that, but I can put them all in there. Um, so... That's all to say, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for the OPC. We're not the only perfect church, though many of us think, think that, but uh, there are other perfect churches. Um, that's a joke. Uh, but the church is an institution, right? That's all to say. It is an institution. It is an organized religion. Uh, Christianity is an organized religion. Um, uh, the definition of an institution 
is a society or organization founded for a religious, educational, social, or similar purpose. Or it's an established law, practice, or custom. So if you've ever worked a, a job or worked for a business or established your own, uh, you have been part of an institution. If you are married or part of a family, you are part of an institution. If you are an American citizen, you are part of an institution. If you woke up this morning, you are part of an institution. You can't escape institutions. They are everywhere and we are all part of them. We've all been institutionalized in some form, though not in mental institutions. Some of us uh, probably will need to eventually. Um, even those who say they haven't been institutionalized have been institutionalized by anti-institutional people. Um, because all that makes up an institution is someone starting something and people becoming a part of it. That's all it is. That's all an institution is. And there is an order and there are practices and customs that come along with it, like the church. If you are part of a church, if you become a member, you are part of an institution. Now, as I said, the difference may be that church is voluntary, right? But I think most of the institutions I listed are voluntary. Um, and I can't force you to become a member of a church. I can't force anyone. Uh, at the end of the day, it is voluntary and you make that de uh, decision. But a bad excuse for not joining is because the church has been institutionalized or the church has uh, become an organized religion and it wasn't meant to. But it was. Yeah. You know, I think people who say that um, forget about the Old Testament because the organization starts way back in the Old Testament. Yeah. Around Mount Sinai and even before. Yeah, yeah. And, and, um, and to a certain extent, you know, you have the types and shadows, um, temple worship. Those things have been quote-unquote spiritualized because they have been fulfilled in Christ. Mm -hmm. um, even, we don't stone people anymore. Right? Why? Well, because Christ took on that role. He is the one who holds the stone now. A minister doesn't hold the stone. None of us hold the stone. He holds the stone. And that's, that's part of the reason why he, he um, said, whoever is without sin can cast the first stone uh, to the woman caught in adultery. Right? Because he picked up that stone and says, that's mine now. Israel of old does not have it. Right? You can't cast a stone anymore. That's his to throw. And, um, and so a lot, of, a lot of that order has passed and the sacrifices and, the, and all of that because it's all been fulfilled in Christ. But there is still order in the church. We see that in all of the, the letters of Paul. There, there is an order that is expected. Um, and so in, in turn, that would make it a visible institution. Though we are true believers are in the spiritual realm, we are saved, we are... But there is a vis visible expression of what is spiritual, right? And that happens all throughout Scripture. Um, now, again, I want to be sensitive to those who say this. Uh, because what they're saying in opposing to becoming members, uh, they're thinking becoming a member of a church means that you're being manipulated by corrupt leaders, right? They see all the corruption that has gone on in the church, uh, and all that we have been involved with in history, like the misconduct in the Roman Catholic Church, and even in Protestant and Reformed churches today, mm -hmm. when it comes to child abuse, 
uh, and they say, I give up on institutions, right? I give up on um, the church. Um, and they say, well, the church is just made up of hypocrites. There's a famous person just said this recently, and I like this guy. An actor said this. I'm not going to say his name, but I like this guy. I like his movies. But he said, the Christians are all hypocrites. And I say, well, we can always use one more. Right? That old saying. And the, the problem is not with organized religion. Right? It's not with the institution. It's not with what Jesus set up himself. But the problem is in the heart of man. The problem is the corruption of man, not the institution. Everyone is a part of it. And uh, institutions are not a problem. We need them. And they promote order and stability. The problem is the corruption of man, which you can't escape, including yourself. Right? It lies in all of us still, even as Christians. There is corruption in every part of us in every decision we make funny question that was asked by um, during presbytery of someone being ordained are, can you sin while you're preaching preaching is a high calling and uh, the spirit leads us in our preaching and uh, hopefully and, and the spirit is uh, what convicts the hearers but can you be sinning while you're preaching I was sitting there I was like how would I answer this question <laughs> And uh, uh, I'm thinking of the Pope and what he says, you know, when he speaks, it's perfect. You've got to accept it. It's the very word of God. Nope, it's not. And, uh, and the guy said, you know, who's being examined, he said, yes, you can. You can sin while you preach. You probably are most of the time. <laughs> uh, because sin is in everyone at all the, all the time. Uh, and just as we are saints, we are sinners nonetheless. So the problem is not the institution. The problem is the corruption of man. And that was the problem in the Old Testament, wasn't it? It was the problem when, you know, when the Lord said, why are you bringing these sacrifices? Why are you trampling my courts? The problem wasn't the courts. The problem wasn't the sacrifices that he called them to make, right? Just like our worship, people complain about the regulative principle. It's not heartfelt, right? Our worship is very cold and dry and... Where the frozen chosen uh, uh, is very uh, too simple. You know, we need some excitement. The problem is not whether or not the worship is cold and dry and whatever. The problem is the heart of the person. It was always the heart of the person, right? It was, it was, it was the fact that they were unbelieving. The fact that they were cold toward God and his ways. They, they made a big deal about the temple sacrifices, but when they lived their lives, they weren't compassionate, they weren't merciful, they didn't walk justly, right? That's the problem. And that could be our problem, too. We come to worship, and it could be just a ritual, and we're, we fight for it, but when, we, we're, when we're out, and the way we treat others, and live among other people, we're very cold uh, toward um, sinners, and, you know, with no compassion, no, no heart for the gospel. There's the problem, is the heart. The heart is the problem. Uh, because we need institutions for order. And the church is here to give you the answer to that problem. And the answer is only found in Jesus Christ. And he has given us ways in how to handle that corruption that comes into the church. And we see that in Matthew 18. And this principle 
of order uh, is applied and is set forth in the OPC's Book of Church Order. I believe the OPC's Book of Church Order is Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians, all of that that was going on there. All of that is, we, we take it from there and we apply it in the Book of Church Order. At least we try our best. Um, and I encourage all members to have a copy and to review it, read it, read what our responsibility is as ministers to you and your responsibility is as well. Because if there's a complaint, you know, and we see this all the time. I mean, people complain about everything, right? Uh, there's a little decision that somebody didn't like in the church, so they get up and leave. That's out of order, right? I still have the responsibility to call you on the phone and say, hey, where are you going? Where have you been? You're still a member. You, you had vows. Part of those vows is not, yeah, I'm going to submit to the session so long as they do what I want. No. So long as we're in order. So long as we're within the order that as we have made vows to as ministers. Uh, so long as we're within the bounds of scripture and with, within the confessions and within the book of church order. And you're bound to that order too as members. There's a way about, going, about making a complaint. I don't know it for, you know, off the top of my head. You've you got to refer to it yourself. But if you have a complaint against the ministers or, or the session, you need to follow that order. And I encourage you to if there's a complaint. And if the complaint is something silly, it probably won't get too far just to let you know. You can't just complain about anything and then get up and leave the church because you're mad about something. And, and that is why uh, church splits for the most part are sinful. Unless there is... Just grounds. Just grounds. You know, doctrine, life. You know, the pastor committed adultery uh, or, or something like that. Even, but even that, there's a way about going about it, right? A, a, a way about deposing the minister and finding a new one. It's all in the book of church order. So even that, you shouldn't split a church over, right? But there are things that people split churches over that are not within order. They're not, they're not within the will of God. Just about, you know, we could fight about anything. Um, what color the curtains? We, we don't have curtains, but what color the curtains are? I mean, people will leave churches over that. And to me, as a minister, that is out of order and could be sinful. I would have to give them a call and say, why are you you're leaving over something that shouldn't separate you from the body? Because they don't understand how serious it is to be part of a body. And to sin against the body, you're sinning against Christ. And it's, it's, it's very serious. And that's why it's serious to become a member. And that's why I encourage everybody to think it through. Um, uh, whatever body that is. And on a book of church order, we have the 2015 in the back. I, we need updated ones. They have the 2020. We uh, revise them every five years. Um, there was actually a revision that we spoke of. During Presbytery, I think it's going to pass. Uh, just um, fleshing out uh, uh, the uh, ordination of deacons and elders a little bit more to make sure we got it all down in there so there's no room for wiggle. But uh, it, it's important. It's important for the life of the church. It's, it's important for order. It's important for un unity uh, to know what the obligations are as a member and to know the book of church order. Um, so, 
obviously I'm not getting to the next question. Uh, the next question, what do we do in church? Are we religious? Do we practice religion? Or is it just a lifestyle? Right. Um, but I'm open, I, I want to open up for discussions because I know probably a lot going through your mind. And I'm recognizing the time. I went over the order of the day, uh, which is 40 minutes. I'm supposed to limit it, but sorry. Any discuss anything on your minds you want to discuss or questions? Yeah, Jesse. So as far as like um, transferring membership. Yeah. Um, so like let's say I move to Kentucky. Like mm-hmm. how's that work? Just, when we find the church, we would just contact the pastor and just transfer yep. membership, and then we just we'd stop becoming a member here. Is that? Yep. That's okay. as long as you're in good standing, you have no no complaints against you. Okay. Uh, or, you know, you're not trying to flee from one to go to the other or, you know. Yeah. I just, when I was in the military, I mean, I was in the military for 10 years and I was a member for six or seven of those. And I mean, I was never, I never had an OPC church even close to me. Like, yeah, yeah. The whole time, so it was kind of weird. But. Yeah, military, I tend to give a little leeway because I know they people who travel a lot. Yeah. And they, they come to attend and they know in two years they're leaving. I don't pressure them as I wouldn't pressure them as much yeah. to become members because they don't know. They don't, you know, uh, it's not for a scene and, you know, things like that. I, we, we, I mean, there's, there is wiggle room for, for circumstances, situations like that. But it, uh, I would ask them if they were ever a member somewhere else and if they would like to hold membership here, they can. I mean, obviously, they can. Um, yes, Linda? I just wonder about uh, marriage. If somebody outside the church asked you to marry them, what would you do and what would be your rationale? Okay. Because that's happened here before. We've, we've married people that were not members years ago. Now, were I mean, they believers? Uh, I would say no. Really? I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. But, but God, yeah. isn't marriage a biblical principle no matter whether it's Christian yeah. or not Christian? Whether Christian or not Christian, yes, but I, as a minister... I take the responsibility oh, of their, I see. their uh, married life afterwards. Uh-huh. Okay. I would do the marriage counseling. And really, the marriage counseling would go nowhere if they're not Christians. Mm-hmm. They don't have that. They don't believe. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's very hard to. I see. Now, they're still obligated to God, even as unbelievers. But it's, mm-hmm. yeah, as a minister, I'm, I'm, I'm putting my blessing on this marriage that probably won't go anywhere mm-hmm. okay. because it's not in the Lord. Yeah. And this, very... this one didn't either. They divorced. How long ago was it, may I ask? Oh, dear. It was Mr. Grilly. Okay. Yeah, it was Mr. Grilly. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think each minister has their own convictions, and I'm not sure what his were, yeah. and, or, uh-huh. so I, don't, I can't speak yeah. to that. But as far as me, what, I what couldn't. I, and someone has, I think, two people have asked me, uh, recently, outside uh-huh. membership, and what about the, our denomination? Or does the OPC allow that on an individual basis, or what's the stance of the the church? I would have to get back to you on okay. that. Yeah, just, yeah. Just Everything that I read, I mean, in the Book of Church Orders, says believers should not, uh, unbelievers should not marry. Right. Unbelievers should. Uh, uh, a believer should not marry an unbeliever. Oh, yeah, right. So I mean. I think that would spill over into what I would think about two unbelievers 
joining together in holy matrimony, right? That we, we call it that, right? Um, if neither of them are set apart. Okay. You know, it's, um, I think when Paul spoke of the unbeliever being married to the believer, he was, he was, he was saying they were already married when the unbeliever became a believer, right? And the other one remained an unbeliever. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, like I said, it happened recently where someone asked me, very close to me, I, I love him mm-hmm. like a brother, mm-hmm. but uh, he, you know, we're not ministers for hire just to do. Yeah. Now, I would make the exception for funerals. That's different. Mm-hmm. But as far as the living pers- people wanting to get married, you either have to be a member of my church or a member of a Bible-believing conservative church. Mm-hmm. Um, who I would have contact with the pastor, who I would know has spiritual oversight over you, so I can check in and see how are they doing. And then I would have to conduct uh, the, the marriage counseling mm-hmm. to see where they are and to encourage them, and then, then I would uh, bless mm-hmm. the marriage through that. Because, I mean, this, this happens in not just Reformed denominations. I see it in other denominations where um, there are many men. They say they can't marry if, if you don't have my blessing, I can't marry you. If they see there's something wrong in the relationship, they're not going to marry the people. So I, I guess if you boil it down to that, you meet with them, you, there's something wrong here. And it's stemming from unbelief, then, then you wouldn't, mm-hmm. it would be hard, you know. Mm-hmm. be hard to marry an uh, unbelieving couple. Uh, I think they're going with justice of the peace now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But unfortunate. Thank you. Yeah. I got one more. Yeah, Jesse. So how do we, as members, how do we prioritize our church life with work and family and, yep. um, I, I guess for instance, let's say I'm a registered nurse for my job, I have to work two Sundays a month. How does that work? Is that grounds to quit my job because of my faith? Or how do you, how do you suggest grappling with that as far as a member? And You're saying working on Sundays? Yeah. Like okay. that's just an instance of how of conflict of interest, right? Our our uh, commitment here as the, as the hmm. body. Like how does that? I don't know. How okay. do you address that as a pastor or the OPC as a whole? Or? Um, like our confessions uh, speaks of um, about the Sabbath, unless it's deeds of mercy and necessity. I would include work under necessity, yeah, okay. and. It would really rely on the person through wisdom, using godly wisdom. And this is something that would probably take counsel of meet with them. Probably have to meet with them to see their situation and understand where they are. Uh, and if there's other options, right? if there are other options, then if you can set aside work on the Lord's Day. If you can't, try to ship. You know, see if you can shift the hours. It, it takes a lot. It's, it's, there's a lot of moving parts in that. Um, and uh, it would have to be on an individual basis. I mean, we have, uh, and it takes wisdom, right? Uh, we have farmers, right? Yeah. Sometimes something happens. They got to they go right there during service. It's happened a couple times already. So I see folks get up and leave. I'm like, man, I didn't know I preached that bad. Uh, but anyway, so, and that's, that's, um, I would, work would fall under deeds of necessity, okay. unless you know. Again, situation: is is the person taking on more hours because they want more money? That's a different question. 
They're taking on hours on Sunday because they want more. It could be a covetous thing. Yeah, right. I just think, like, I mean, again, military. Yeah, yeah. I've been deployed for seven months. Yeah. Like, I can't even, you know, there's no, is that, is that, is that right, you know? Like, how's that? Yeah, I, I pose this question about NFL players. Uh, can they be Christians? <laughs> and I'm like, I, I, I lean towards yes, but, you know, the church thing becomes complicated since most Sundays out of, well, half of the Sundays out of the year, you're playing football um, on a Sunday. But I'm sure there's local churches wherever they go that they can go after the game, before the game, blah, blah, blah. You know, this, it takes wisdom in, in, in speaking to the people. You've got to know this situation in every minute detail and then speaking to it before I can make a final yes or no, you know. Yeah. I've heard... Not lately, but something about, okay, if there's somebody that had to work on Sunday, they could take another day and set that aside as their yeah. Sabbath. Is that valid? I, I personally don't agree with it. Because the Sunday is when everyone gathers. Remember, we're a member of the body. Uh-huh. So if they're setting it, like I mentioned, the during the week ministry, that would include that. I'm making up for Sunday by listening to it on Monday. But you're alone. God called us to gather. Mm-hmm. You know. So that, that's part of, part of the reason why the Lord's Day is sanctified. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because we're with God's people, okay. uh, where his presence is. So, um, yeah, I would, I would encourage them to do what they can to get to a service. I mean, usually work hours, you're not going to work through two, if there's an evening service somewhere or, or a morning service, somewhere, you're not going to work through both of them. Usually, unless you're really in a bad place, you know, mm-hmm. single mothers, Single fathers, some of them are in bad places where they need to make those unfortunate sacrifices. But usually, people don't work through all those hours. Say, try to get to a service somewhere, whether morning or evening. And part of the reason why it's good to have two services here, but can't always do do that. How, how does the pastor? How you do? How, what's the stance for your the pastor's Sabbath, or how, how does that? Uh, it's a full day's work for you, right? I mean, no, it's not work. Well, this is all worship. Okay. Yeah. I think Vodi Bachman said that. He said, preaching and teaching is not work. Um, the, the work is preparing for the preaching. That's my work during the week. But the Lord's Day when I'm preaching and teaching, that's worship. That's giving God my sacrifice. That's not... Um, um, you, you're hearing it, that's your worship, right? Hearing the word is the worship, and preaching is, and teaching is my act of worship, since I can't sit where you are. So, um, so yeah, it gets, for a lot of people, it gets complicated. I, I know one said, yeah, since we work on Sundays, Saturday is my Sabbath. You know, I said, no, it has to be, what constitutes it is being with God's people, and, you know. It's not individualism and mm-hmm. that guides our Sabbath. I have another question. Sure, yeah. The Great Commission. Yeah. The Great Commission was given to the 11 disciples. Yeah. So, and then you said to, after that, but what about us, individual Christians in the Great Commission? Yeah. Where are we? Well, you, you asked the question, do lay people baptize? No. That's in the Great Commission. Oh, I see. Yeah. In do... Um, go, go ye therefore yeah. teach all 
nations baptizing. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and so teaching was a part of that too. And mostly it's ordained, well, yeah, I mean, Scripture is ordained ministers who teach, and that's admonition given to Timothy. He said, do the work of an evangelist. You're like, oh, so was he a pastor or was he an evangelist? He's both. He did. The work of the evangelist was the preaching of the word mm -hmm. in the context. Mm -hmm. That was what he was speaking of. It wasn't just door-to-door you know, -door evangelism. Now, as, um, as the people of God, you still have a responsibility to share Christ with unbelieving that, that neighbors. That particular verse isn't yeah. directed toward, the toward lay people. me. No. Go ye therefore. I'm, I have thought of that as, as yeah. you know, go forward into your community. Go ye therefore. Yeah, no, and that's why missionaries are ordained, right, in the OPC. Uh, and set apart for the task. Evangelist capital E are set apart and ordained for the task. Mm. So, uh, but I think there's still a bearing on them, on all believers to share the gospel. Mm. There's still that, mm -hmm. and you're free to do it in whatever way you please. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I'm not into the, this is how evangelism works, you know, the bullet point. No, do it however way you please. Invite people, you know, strike a conversation, relationships. There are many ways to go about that as Christians in this world. You know, Paul, which I'll get to next week, Paul tells believers to eat whatever's put in front of them by unbelievers, even if it's sacrificed to idols. Why? What's, what is the goal for that? So that they may be saved. You have a good reputation and a good um, uh, life among neighbors and unbelievers and the goal is for their salvation I think that's part of the call that, that's the call for all believers and uh, not making a fuss over food unless you have dietary restrictions uh, so that's part of it part of it and there's many many ways we can live as Christians among our neighbors uh, but some make it seem I, I don't know what strand this is that you know, if you're a real believer, you're going to stand outside on a street corner and just, you know, do the thing, right? We have those in Watertown. So, and I admire those who do that because they are sharing the gospel. They're doing it. But as a minister, I can't say, well, if you're not doing that, something wrong, you know. Because Paul addresses people in different ways. Peter, uh, Peter, whoa, way off. Jesus uh, evangelized in different ways. You know, from preaching on the street to asking the Samaritan woman a few questions. Questions are always good. Mm -hmm. Ask ask somebody a question and make them think about it. You know, it's always a good way. So, um, yeah, we're way past time. My wife's probably like, "What is he doing?" Um, all right. Any other questions or discussion? Mike, do you have anything? I see your face moving around. But. idea of why people refuse to join churches because rugged individualism is an enigma to me and it's bugged me the whole of my life in, in, in this country um, because I come from a, more, from, from a lifestyle where everything had its place and there was no such thing when the worship was, was done together, don't get me wrong it was mm -hmm. a false religion but nonetheless there was an order to it and this is the one thing when I when I ask God, you know, 
what is really, and this was sitting in the middle of, I told Yara one day, I'm sitting in the middle of the, the Pacific Ocean on a surfboard saying, you know what, where are you? What is this, this whole thing? God, show me. And he showed me. He brought me 3,221 miles away from Southern California to here. And this is the first place where I can honestly say order, organization, and solemnity. This is something that, that is, I can't understand why people wouldn't join a church. Why, if you yeah. belong to something, you believe in something, people refuse to do it. And it's always been kind of an enigma to me, and this is, I don't know, a sore, a sore spot in my, yeah. in my life. That but like I said, I, I do grant sympathy to those who move around a lot, like in the military, or if you move around for your job. I understand, try to be understanding at the same time. I've spent 25 years doing but, the same thing, go from yeah. one place to another, but still. Order, I grew up with order, the rules were made, I followed the rules, you didn't question the rules, you obeyed them. And you yeah. pray that those that were ahead of you knew better. And this is the type of thing that, that when I see the, this, this disorganizational religious worship, it, it just annoys me. It annoys me to no point. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you know, I mean, there's so much we can go with that. I mean, I, I'm having these Bible passages coming through my head, but... Um, Think of um, the table of the Lord and how important that is to come before it and, and the seriousness that Paul brings to that and being sure you know, you're counted among them and you're not mistreating anyone in the body. That's a high call. I was talking to my friend about it the other day, talking about membership class, and I said, wow, we, we got a lot of repenting to do. And... Um, and, uh, yeah, um, but again, I, yeah, I try to understand those who can't because of various reasons, but they're, you know, I belong to a church where most of the people in the, in the, in the church weren't members. This is the one thing that's what I want to say, being in the hospital and, and, and just, you know, when I, when I had the, my, my blood clot issue, I had the, the, the honor to speak to, to two people that I, I witness to in a hospital. Mm. Oh, good. And the one nurse, I mean, she didn't like me because of, I, I had, she came in and she said something and I said, uh, do you belong to a body of, to a body of believers? And that just clicked. No, I, I'm a, I, I believe in, you don't have to be a member of a church to, to be, yeah. to be a Christian. No, no, yeah. And I said, uh, uh, basically, if you're a certain, uh, body part, you, you, you don't belong to a body, and she really took offense to that, and, and uh, explained it to her, and it's kind of amazing how God works in, in, in strange ways, because that has been a, a big question, and here today, I'm, I'm, I'm getting kind of an answer, but it's still, that, that's a question I've had for the whole of my life. Well, I think everything can be traced back to sin, in men's hearts. Yeah. Um, not in, in because sin leads to isolation for many people, and 
they're living a lifestyle that's contradicting their profession. They want to isolate from everyone else. And then, they, you know, I've heard people say, well, I don't, I, don't, I don't need to be part of a church. I know I believe. I pray. You know, I say, well, yeah, I, I can't do anything with that, really. And, you know, Paul, Peter, all these guys, they, it was assumed. It was assumed that you were part of the body and um, uh, living with that body, serving that body. Um, even, you know, people ask, well, how do I serve? You know, do I become part of this body? Well, you gifted offering. You know, there's many ways to serve. You, you're here in worship and you're serving by coming and giving to the offering. You know, that's one way to serve. You know, there's many ways to serve the body. And, and uh, to, ways to demonstrate that you're part of it. Um, and anyone who wasn't part of the body was not considered a Christian back in those days. And even during the Reformation. Even during the Reformation. You could be saved extraordinarily and then brought in. But if you're never brought in, there's questions that, that are raised. And things are set up differently too, you know. The way the towns were set up and parishes and this, that, and the other. If you're not, if you're not in the body, you're not, you weren't considered a believer. Calvin said this. Uh, Luther even said it. Um, and and that's, the Reformation wasn't about getting rid of order. And that's what a lot of people think. That's basically getting rid of tradition. And we'll get to that. Too. And that is, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's instituting a new order. Right? The Reformation wasn't about separating ourselves from the Roman Catholic Church. That's what a lot of Protestants can't take. It wasn't about cutting ourselves off. It was about reforming the existing church. And they pushed Luther out. And, you know, that started the new denomination or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and then we became reformed Catholics. That's what we are. We're reformed Catholics. We're not, take, we're not dumping the tradition. We're not dumping those things which are b- biblical. We're peeling away all the unbiblical uh, superstition and those kinds of things. I've never heard that before. We're reformed Catholics. That's interesting. Yeah. When you That's, think about it, the word Catholic, it's universal. It means universal. It doesn't mean Roman. Yeah. Right. It's not limited to one area as they made it. And they made it that way in light of Luther and these other guys who started noticing. Uh, they're putting one church over against all the others. And so, hmm. yep. That's very, I mean, that would be a real interesting talking point to a Catholic well, I'm Catholic. I'm a Reformed Catholic. Yeah, that is. Yeah, it is. It's true. Let's start a good conversation. First time I heard that was in uh, seminary. Huh. Seminary class. We're Reformed Catholics. Yeah. yeah we, we, we share the same faith of many around the world. Yet, we, you know, we have distinctions. But, I mean, the confession of faith unites, well, originally, three major denominations. You know, Presbyterians, Anglicans, and Congregationalists. Not like that. Now, but there are still some scattered that who take on the same confession, even though they have different forms of church government. You know, yeah. but it united them. Though we have our distinctions and we're separate by denomination, but we're still considered Christians, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, wow. yeah. Anyway, we can go on all day, and I almost did. So let's pray, 
and any other discussion we can have out there.